So hello and welcome to another episode of Drill to Detail, and I'm your host, Mark Whitman. So today I'm very pleased to be joined by Dan Perry-Reed, Innovation Lead at MeasureLab. Uh, so Dan, nice to have you on the show and um, yeah, it's good to have you here. Yeah, thanks for inviting me, Mark. Yeah, it's good to be here. So Dan, um, tell us about how we know each other really, because I think we've known each other for a while now and uh, you're also a podcaster as well and uh, you actually work just down the road from me. So tell us about what you do and uh, and the role you do at uh, MeasureLab. Yeah, of course. Well, we know each other because Brighton is a very small town and uh, there's a couple of uh, marketing firms and agencies and analytics companies that are all kind of existing around the sort of the Brighton to London remit. And uh, we, yeah, we, we're both in Brighton. Uh, well, we're just outside of Brighton in Lewis. So Measure Lab, we've been here for a little while, uh, just like you, Mark. And I think we just attend the same events. We do the same meetups, the same uh, talks. And yeah, I think it's hard to not bump into each other in a, in a city so small as Brighton. Um, but yeah, it's all, we, we, I mean, at Measure Lab, we are an analytics consultancy. Um, we just do analytics, uh, focusing on the Google stack, uh, Google analytics, tag manager, data studio, dipping into things like the GCP, um, and other peripheral tools. Um, and my role is, as you said, analytics, uh, innovation lead, which is a bit ambiguous. Uh, but my job really is to, to know as much as I can about these products to help our clients apply that into their instances and to, turn that into podcast episodes and to videos and to training content really just to help spread the spread the love spread the knowledge of these products okay so i know you do this as well on your podcast but um i ask you now how did you get into the industry and um, how did you end up at uh, measure lab no, that's a really good question, and I love asking it myself. Probably why we adopted it in a, in our own podcast as well. Um, but yeah, because there's no there's no one way into analytics, is there? And uh, my my journey sounds actually uh, like it is an obvious choice, but at the time it was very unobvious. So I uh, studied maths at college, uh, did a couple of maths and physics A levels, and then I decided I wanted to go to university just because I didn't know what I actually wanted to do with my life. So just to kind of postpone the inevitable decision of actually having to figure something out, I decided to go to university. And of course, I thought, I can do maths. Maths is easy for me. Surely it'll be easy for me, a bit of a free ride in university. So uh, I decided to take on mathematics at the uh, university in Sussex, which is uh, in Brighton. And uh, God, I was uh, definitely in for a shock because it was hard as hell. <laughs> um, but nevertheless, I got through my uh, undergraduate degree and I did a, a fourth year. I did a master's uh, at the university. And uh, randomly, I got two emails in my last ever week at university. I got two emails that came through to my my student email address. One was for a company called DC Storm, uh, which is a, an analytics and attribution company, or at least was an analytics and attribution company in the middle of town. And the other one, I honestly couldn't remember what it was for. Um, but either way, I, I replied to both saying, yes, please, I'd love to have a job because, you know, I'm now at the end of my tether in terms of how many times I can delay the inevitable. Um, and uh, they both got back to me and one of them offered me an interview and I got that job. And little did I know it, but that was my entry point into marketing analytics. And uh, it was very much at the deep end in an attribution platform. So I very quickly learned everything about marketing data, uh, implementation, tech management, attribution modeling, um, and everything. And it was just a proper proper whirlwind in the deep end, but I loved it. I, I got to play with data in all sorts of different forms. I got to talk with loads of different companies. And um, yeah, I spent a couple of years there before moving over to a company called MeasureLab, which I'm at now. And uh, yeah, I've been there for the last six years, 
um, doing more of the same actually, but just really specializing in you know the Google stack and uh, very much where where I've invested my my development, my knowledge, and my my education. Okay, okay. So so in case anyone's thinking, you know, I've just invited somebody I met down the pub um, to come on the present, come on the uh, the podcast. Um, the reason that I, I I want you to come on was. Um, there's most of the intersection or in the worlds that you work in and the worlds that we work in. So, so, you know, we work with, uh, tools like, uh, you know, GCP and Looker and, and, and build, uh, I suppose modern data stack analytic, analytic platforms. <clears throat> Excuse me. And, and you build, uh, well, you work in the world of kind of Google marketing and GA4 and so on. And in particular, there, there, I suppose recently there's been quite a convergence in, some of the tools and techniques and technologies that we work with. So I've been working on some GA4 projects recently, um, and I've noticed that GA4 is getting more like some of the tools that I'm more used to using, like Segment and so on there. Um, but but in general, you know, I suppose there's, there's the technology um, overlap that we've got, but also really the sort of the changes that are happening in the industry um, that I want to talk to you about, particularly around, um, I suppose, the effect of some of the privacy changes that have been happening recently. And I suppose also the, um, uh, or really what is the implication of that really and how we do things like attribution and so on. So um, that, that's the kind of context for this. But but maybe just to start things off, uh, Dan, um, talk, tell us, what what is what is GA for? What is Google Analytics for? And and you know why is it a big deal at the moment? Really, just in in sort of general terms. That's a really good question. Um, and I always like to ask. Oh, I, I try to answer why it's called number four when there was no number two, three, or one. <laughs> um, but but actually, it's a, a a brand new product, or the way we can think about it, it's a brand new product from Google that does a very similar job to Universal Analytics and the previous versions. This time, it's built on the Firebase technology stack rather than the uh, the urchin analytics stack that the um, Google Analytics came from. And um, what, what it is, is a marketing analytics product at its core. It's a marketing product, and it tries to measure the performance of your marketing campaigns to an on-site or on-app conversion. And it tries to assess which ones are working and which ones aren't. So at its core, it's a very, I don't want to say basic or simple, but it's a very um, straightforward product that tries to do one thing, one thing very well, which is measure your marketing performance to your conversions that must occur on your app or website. But the reason why it's such a big deal and why maybe it's got a lot more airtime than any other sort of development and changes within the Google Analytics space is because it's a brand new product. It just happens to be called Google Analytics. Unlike previous versions or upgrades to the product, this isn't a continuation of the existing data. The data scheme is completely different and everything else. This is a, you have to implement and start from scratch. There's no historical data, like I said before, continuing over from Universal Analytics. So in a sense, this is the biggest shakeup that the Google Analytics technology has had, probably since it slapped the Google Analytics logo on the Urchin Analytics product back in you know, the early noughties. Um, so yeah, it's it's big, it's a big deal because it's um it's kind of uh daunting and maybe kind of scary for a lot of people to have to get rid of or not use the historical data, which uh, maybe is more of a safety blanket than a real necessity nowadays. Um, but a lot of people are having to walk away from maybe up to 15 years worth of historical data, uh, which they can't take with them. And um, the other side is that, um, I suppose we'll dig into this a bit more, Mark, as we as we go through this conversation, but actually it's the approach that it's taken to the data, especially around its modeling capabilities. And, and, and fundamentally, there's almost less of a focus on it being a data product and more of a focus in, on it being a on a marketing product. So there's less focus on it being data for reporting. 
It's more like data for activation. So turning that into audiences and conversions for optimizing your marketing campaigns in terms of bidding or even A-B testing and personalization through things like Google Optimize. So it's a, it's a change of focus on what was a very well understood product. And I think that's the biggest kind of a uh, shift that it's gone through in the last, uh, well, the last couple of weeks specifically since the announcement, but since it came out in 2020. Okay. Okay. And then beyond that, really, and this is where I think it also, even if, even if our listeners aren't users of GA4 or going to use GA4, some of the changes that are happening, I suppose, in, uh, in, in legislation, in, 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 I suppose, attitudes about how data is collected and stored, they have, they're happening at the same time. And they've obviously had some influence on, or a lot of influence on the way that GA4 has been put together. So we'll cover it in more detail in a moment, but. At very kind of high level, what is the general change in the industry and, and, and how we do things that is, is informing how GA4 works? I, I think it's, a couple, it's quite multifaceted, actually. Uh, I, I think there's the, the obvious one, which is the, the, the legal side. And I think there's a lot of new laws coming into effect or even old laws that are being revisited and realizing that things aren't as compliant as we once thought. Um, but another one is kind of cultural or social. And I think just the general awareness of like, uh tracking and privacy and a technological savviness when visiting websites and apps online and just what they're doing behind the scenes and how they're sort of using your data to kind of capitalize on i suppose i think there's just a cultural shift in how just the average consumer is aware of of what's going on with the data so i think there's a couple of things that it's that it's trying to address or trying to solve for and i think that's that's the kind of approach that google have got with google analytics for it's trying to solve for these changes in the industry um the um the, the first one being the, the the legal changes in different countries and territories having different sort of rules and regulations around how you can track and what you can track there's a cultural shift in terms of people's awareness and willingness to give up access to that kind of data um and i suppose the, th- the third prong in this um is has to be the technology changes so things like safari and firefox with itp and etp and att app tracking transparency from apple but all these things that are happening with the technology regardless of consent regardless of users awareness regardless of the technology you're using are, are having a quite a fundamental uh impact in the tools including ga4 okay okay so so again another reason i wanted you to come on the show was you you, you did a great presentation on on this topic at the recent uh, measure fest fringe event in brighton um and are we going to use that as a i suppose as a kind of framework to have this discussion really but but just to, before we get into that the detail of the conversation yeah you know, what maybe what is what is measure fest and um and what were you looking to try and get across in that presentation really just to give it a bit of a kind of a, a trailer really sure measure fest is a uh, i suppose the, the the most local analytics specific uh conference we have and it's uh, as you said a fringe uh, event to brighton seo so brighton seo is a huge uh, probably internationally known seo conference in brighton um but there is the the kind of sister fringe uh, events one of which is a um, analytics and cro focus one measure fest so it's very much a um a good place for people like us uh, or me specifically to go hang out and talk at and just to kind of get with like-minded people so measure fest is a a, a, a smaller version of brighton seo the day before um and just specifically for analytics um people and 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 talks Okay. Okay. So, so let's start then really by, I think one of the first things maybe to think about. So a lot of people listening to this podcast will not know some of these terms you've been talking about and will not know nearly in as much detail as you about, I suppose, the history of 
Google Analytics and Google's kind of marketing technology strategy, really. So let's kind of wind this, wind the kind of the clock back a little bit to, to when you mentioned Urchin earlier on. Now I know what you're talking about, but most people probably, maybe people wouldn't. What, what, what was, how did, how did Google's products in this area start out and what was the strategy behind them? Do you think when they first came about? That's a, it's a really good question, and, and and like anyone in this industry, I think we we use more acronyms than we can even define ourselves. So, <laughs> thanks for calling it out. Um, I'll try to try to define everything as we go. But um, <clears throat> the, the way that I um I, I kind of approached it from uh, my talk at MeasureFest is I realized a lot of um people are going to spend a lot of time talking about the technical features and tools and the approaches especially this whole ga4 migration so to kind of throw that completely on its head i decided to do a talk about the the history and the future of google analytics 4 so look look back in time to kind of predict where it's going in the future and um the way i did it is i used a uh, a marvel mcu analogy uh, as far as much as i possible i very much stretched that analogy as, as as much as i can and so i defined the kind of first phase of the google universe the google marketing universe as this web domination phase all the way going back all the way to the year 2000 where they they introduced google adwords where they started to kind of monetize the google search results um but where where google analytics kind of shows up in this story is that um at its core google analytics wasn't it never used to be called google analytics it used to be called urchin analytics it was an independent an analytics platform called urchin and it was actually founded back in the 90s so it's, it's had a long legacy uh, over a number of decades now um, but google ended up purchasing urchin analytics with a primary focus really to measure how well their google adwords platform is doing so they needed a, a tool that measured websites uh, that they could measure their own advertising platform and the success that they're bringing i suppose on the website um, but Actually, it's broad. It's broader than that. So Google Analytics isn't just Google AdWords Analytics. Otherwise, it would have been absorbed into its, you know, the the, the actual product itself. They kept it separate because it is a multi-channel analytics product. It doesn't actually matter if you're running Google Ads or not, um, or AdWords as it was back in the day. It is a independent tool in its own right that measures your website and everything that comes in and everything that happens on it. So um, re really, when thinking about the, the kind of phase one, or at least the way I approached it in that, that presentation, the way I thought about it is that it's a web domination phase. It's the kind of starting in the year 2000 when they started to monetize Google AdWords, leading up all the way to the release of Universal Analytics. So a number of versions after Urchin and Google Analytics and, uh, and, and the kind of the, the evolution of the product there. So just to kind of bring all of their advertising and measurement solutions into one happy suite, as it were, one happy family. Um, but yeah, over that period of time, they they bought a platform called DoubleClick, which was at the time at least pretty game changing. It was the sort of independent. Uh, it was sorry, it was the like industry standard way of measuring marketing. So they kind of absorbed a lot of products, and then they kind of rolled them all in together. That's why I kind of thought of it as a web domination phase because they're kind of dominating by absorbing and buying up all of these products and rebranding them as Google products, um, all, all kind of under the guise of of uh, measuring you know, Google ads and, you know, AdSense and double click uh, campaigns, whatever, whatever Google product you're advertising through. Okay. Okay. And so, and, and they're just, again, for, for anyone who's not familiar with it, there were two, I suppose, two editions of, of GA or two sort of versions. There's the free one, which most people think of as GA and there's the kind of paid for version and which I suppose, will you tell us what, what was the, what did you get with the paid for version that made it worth investing quite a lot of money in really at some points, you know, what, what was in that, that kind of suite of products or that product really? Yeah, yeah, it's a good question, and, and and I don't think there's one answer of why why um 
why you end up paying for Google Analytics Premium, as it was, or GA360, as of those, as it's now known. And um, in the in this kind of um, version of Google Analytics, at very least, there's a very hard cap in terms of how much data you can send in per month. So what it does is it raises some of those caps. So it basically, if you if you've got a lot of data volume, then you need the the paid for product just to kind of open up access to the data you're collecting. Um, and I suppose a, a a side effect of that is something called sampling. So when you collect a lot of data into Google Analytics to save some of the resource, you know, the resources um, uh, in the cloud, it, when you run a report in the interface, rather than trying to query all of that raw data and give you the answer you need, it will take a subset of that and do some, some, some modeling, do some sampling, and kind of give you an estimation. It's a very, very good estimation, but nevertheless, it's still an estimation. And um, when you go to the premium pay-for solution, you, again, those caps get raised so you have less sample data and more exact data. So in a sense, if you've got a lot of data and you want access to it accurately, you kind of have to have to pay for it. Okay. And so where I think where I, I, mean, I, was, I was always aware of, of, of free GA and everyone, everyone installs it on their websites and so on, but the, where, where I suppose it came into my world was when we had customers who had GA360 and they wanted to bring the data from GA360 into, for example, BigQuery or, or things like that. And that was actually, um, I suppose that was a, a request and something that was being done by a lot of companies with other technologies as well. So we had customers using, say, Segment or using uh, other I suppose, event level or certainly detail level um, sort of tracking tools that allowed us to to really track um, customer behavioral activity across both mobile and web and so on. And that was a kind of world, wasn't it, that, that is no longer there to some extent, but where everything could be tracked. And then you had kind of companies building attribution solutions that could track everything and so on. I mean, describe that world really and and, and, and how that would work and why that's going away really. Yeah, no, it's a really interesting way of phrasing it. It's that everything's tracked, everything's shared. And I suppose that you can think of it as third-party data ruled supreme, right? So so whatever happened on your website or app, every single vendor had a version of that or a copy of that piece of data. And so whether it's, you know, segment, whether it's Google Analytics, whether it's your Facebook pixels or your floodlights, every every platform had access to this data um, you know, regardless of, of whether you knew it was happening or not as the consumer. And then every platform could do their own attribution modeling. They could do their own data storage, or you could pass that into your your, your warehouse or, or whatever you wanted to do with that data, really, um, which was great and made a lot of companies a lot of money, right? Especially in the, the, the advertising space like Google and Facebook and Amazon and, and platforms like that. But what what actually has started to happen, and we're seeing this probably more so uh, the last maybe year or two than any other time, is that the legislation and the technology changes that are kind of catching up with with us now. So in a sense, what's happening is you can't track everyone doing everything. You have to ask for you know explicit opt-in consent. You know whether that's through things like the GDPR or or other local regional uh, legislation. But also things like cookies, you know, which most, if not all, of these platforms are built off of. Third-party cookies are blocked in pretty much every browser except for Chrome, and first-party cookies have got some huge limitations on them in terms of their longevity now. So, identifying the same person coming back multiple times to, before they, you know, convert or make a purchase on your website is becoming harder and harder and harder to do, if not impossible. So, um, what's happening now is this—the idea of third-party data reigning supreme—is kind of almost very old-fashioned now, and it's all about first-party data. So, there's one version of your data which the generally the the company itself would kind of ask your consent to collect and collect for their own benefit, but then sharing that data with third-party tools like Google, like Facebook, like other things becomes 
harder and harder, if not impossible, to do. And I think this is this is where we're seeing the big change, or that the kind of the, the, the tide changing on this is rather than everyone having access to all the data, making a lot of money off of it, doing whatever models they want, or or optimizing whatever ads they happen to be running off the back of it what we're seeing is that kind of the inverse where um, they're having access to less and less data and i think this is where something like google analytics 4 has been brought in from the google ecosystem to try and solve for i think if i if i even remember rightly they they even they even say on their announcement of the google analytics 4 platform that it's there to let me get the quote right um uh, it's privacy centric by design so you can rely on analytics even as industry changes like restrictions on cookies and identifiers create gaps in your data. So it's a very, very specific uh, problem they're trying to solve for. As access to your first-party data becomes more limited, we are trying to get around it by doing some clever stuff. <laughs> okay, so let, let, again, just just for anybody who is, 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 is kind of new to this, let's, kind of, let's define a few terms here, right? So, so you talk about first-party and third-party data, right? And first-party cookies third-party cookies um can you just just for anyone's benefit can you just explain what you mean by that really and and why is one you know why is one on the way out but one another one of those is 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 still relevant and valuable and so on uh, yes of course yeah so um in, in a sense all cookies are exactly the same and they're small text files that are saved on your browser um per website a first party cookie or i suppose the more technical definition is a, a cookie saved in a first party context is um means that the cookie the text file that i'm saving is per domain per browser so um in a google it's really a really good example is talking about the google analytics cookie it, it's a random string of uh alphanumeric string which ident it's a random user id basically that identifies me as me but if i go to a different website i've got a different cookie and if i go on a different browser i've got a different cookie so in a sense these tools can't track people they can only track browsers and cookies at that which are quite quite fragile because people can clear cookies they can go incognito where cookies aren't saved uh, all these things so that's the first party cookies in a sense they're the they're the good ones right they're the ones that that <laughs> yeah not that cookies can be good or bad i suppose but they're the, they're the ones that a lot of products and technologies rely on the the third party cookies or cookie saved in a third party context basically means rather than saving it on your uh, domain against your domain so you know let's say we go to the measurelab.co.uk website and it's saved specifically for there it's saved on the advertiser's domain what that means is that someone can measure the same person across multiple different websites as the same person as the same user so this is very much that kind of big brother you know the, the kind of cctv cam monitoring you going across different websites so this is very much why third-party cookies are being uh, unsupported and being deprecated across every modern browser and people are stopping to use third-party cookies and quite often it gives cookies a bad rep because people think cookies themselves are bad and tracking you they're, they're not but third-party cookies um, enable platforms to be able to do that first-party cookies are very um, very basic in comparison but they can't track you across different domains they just track you on the one website doing the one thing Right, right. So, if you went to, for example, the uh, you know the Measure Lab website and you were and you have um, you have GA installed on there, you know that would be a first party cookie that's being set up there um, that is not being used to track you beyond that site, um, or, or even though it's actually being kind of run, I suppose, by 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 Google Analytics. It's a first party sort of cookie. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, that's correct. Yeah. 
Right, brilliant. Okay. Um, so so I suppose there's that happening. So so this is so I suppose what they're trying to outlaw is or or legislate against is those things you get when you go to one site and then you go to another site and then you get an advert for the thing you looked at on the first site saying, you know, and it's it so I suppose that's retargeting, isn't it? So it's that kind of thing that is getting less um possible. But what but I suppose even within the world of first party cookies. Um, GA4, you talked about privacy by design and you talked about opt-in and so on. So, so, you know, let's, let's kind of talk about, I suppose, what GA4 is doing differently to say the previous versions of GA and how that affects, um, you know, what data you collect on somebody. So, to, so that part, the point you made there about, or the quote you had about it's privacy by design. What does that mean in practice? In practice, what, what it actually means, um, is that, well, let's actually start with um, with how how we can collect data. So, first of all, we need consent to collect any data, right? In in pretty much every territory, and even if it's not, um, uh, you know, even if there's no legal requirement to do so, that I think there's more, almost like a moral or ethical requirement to do so nowadays, anyway. So, so what if I don't give you consent to to track me, right? What happens then? And 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 there is basically just a hole in the data, which means Google Analytics and these other platforms. Uh, theoretically can't track you or what you're doing or who you are, which makes perfect sense. If I don't consent for it, it, it shouldn't happen. But what and it, the reason that that's an issue is because if I can't measure the conversion occur, I can't measure an ROI against the advert that we've been running, right? spending money on. So in terms of, if you think of it from maybe Facebook's perspective, um, you're investing money in Facebook, but you can't measure any re- revenue. So there's no ROI, which means that all of my adverts look like they've got negative ROIs or basically they're performing badly enough to stop running them, which is a big issue for these advertisers like Google and Facebook because if every advertiser goes into their platform and sees I'm losing all my money on every ad I'm running, people people aren't people aren't going to be incentivized to continue spending money in their platform, which obviously hits the um, their bottom lines um, quite hard. Um, so what Google Analytics have come up with is a way of modeling the difference. So when people don't consent to being tracked, Google uses the data they can measure and they flesh out the middle bits. So basically they try to model in the unconsented users using their machine learning models and various different very clever techniques that I'm I'm very not, not very uh, privy to, of course. Um, so that's that's the, what they're trying to solve for. They're basically saying where we don't have access to the real data, we're going to do some modeling and fill it in for you so that in a sense, you still maintain total data, even if it's not 100% accurately tracked, it is modeled to kind of fill in the gaps. That's not something that even the previous versions of Google Analytics have have got available. You know, if you don't consent, you don't have the data. It's as simple as that. Whereas Google Analytics 4 are trying to, where it says it's privacy-centric by design and uh, it can evolve as the industry changes and gaps in your data occur, that's what it means. It's going to create models to fill in those gaps. Okay, so so when you say so consent, so so we've all we've all encountered those those those, those kind of uh, I suppose cookie pop ups you get everywhere, right? Where it says you know track me and so on there, um, and so presumably then when people install those, there is something that then takes that information from the customer from the person who's viewing and they and they and they set consent on there. So 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 what what is that process that you do, and what happen, what would happen then if a website didn't have a cookie, a cookie sort of like a question on there. Does it then track by default, or how, how does that kind of work? That's a really good. It's a really good question, and um, there's an, an an awful lot of trust that that one puts in websites to have these installed properly as well, because I, I quite quite often in, in in my line of work, you come across um, websites that have cookie banners, or at least you know there's a pop up you have to accept or decline. Um, but actually, um, 
I, I like to think of it as, as plumbing. They haven't plumbed it in to do anything. And it's almost like a vanity project where they've got the, you know, check, we've got our cookie banner, let's move on. Yet it's not actually preventing any cookies from being set or any tracking occurring. So um, the, 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 way that it, the way that it should work is that, um, f- first of all, cookie banner isn't tracking. So cookies don't do tracking. Um, the, the, code, the code on the website, the product you're implementing, like Google Analytics does the tracking, but it uses cookies to identify you know, a, a new and returning user, you know, the sessions, the the visits, the bounce rates, those kind of things. So um, the cookie in itself is harmless. It's the products that you're implementing do the do the tracking. So when you're accepting or declining cookies, um, you need to make sure at least we need to have faith that the website is actually dynamically <laughs> um, serving the, these products like Segment, like Google Analytics, like other products, um, based on the consent levels that have been provided. Um, one would imagine if there's no banner, um, then that you're just being tracked by con- by default without any respecting of of consent. So um, so yeah, I mean realistically, I mean in in the UK at least and the EU, we've got things like um, um, PECA, so PECR is a, is a legislation that's in place, and GDPR kind of expands a bit upon that slightly. These are all um, probably things that we've come across, or at least GDPR we've probably heard. Even if you're not even in this industry, we've probably heard. Um, but ultimately, what the GDPR has done for the marketing and the marketing analytics world is that because you need opt-in consent before you do any of this stuff you can no longer rely on assumed consent or implied consent to do this so now what it means is things like you mentioned before mark around things like retargeting you go visit a website then you go onto instagram you see an ad for the product you've just visited that theoretically uh, or legally shouldn't be possible unless you've given consent for that to happen um, and we know that not everyone in not every website ever is going to be compliant with this stuff, but that's that's what that's what this means. Okay, and also from from my own looking at, at working with GA four, even if you do even if you do track by default, things like IP addresses aren't captured anymore. So I suppose PII data. Um, maybe maybe just talk to us about G, what GA 4s approach to PII data is and how that differs from before and other tools. Yeah, for sure. So um, P- PII, I suppose, actually has a different definition depending on what country you're in. I think that's actually one part of the, the complexity of, of doing this kind of thing. So personally identifiable information, I suppose, what PII stands for, uh, is any any information that could be tied back to you or identify you as a human being from the data itself. And there's, you know, depending on where you are, there's different definitions. Um, but in Google Analytics specifically within their, te- their terms and conditions, um, you can't track PII data in Google Analytics. So you can't track things like names, email addresses, or postal addresses. Um, you can't track those things. So if you're sending that in, you can actually be banned and your data could be deleted, your account could be suspended. So there's a lot of um, uh, a lot of uh, effort they've put into not allow people to put in that kind of stuff. However, in again, in the UK, within GDPR, things like the um, that first party ID that we store in that cookie, that's a bunch of gibberish, um, that it could be considered personally identifiable information now. So depending on where you are, so where we are, Mark, um, that, that first party cookie ID is PII, that is personally identifiable. So um, what, what that means is that technically we can't collect that into Google Analytics unless we have consent. And that is the biggest change. Um, again, I reiterate, but at least where we are, um, and and that's and that's what they're, that's what they're trying to solve for. So when you don't give consent, you can't collect that ID. So you still with Google Analytics knows kind of like server logs, and server logs are you know if I if I have a website, I know how many times my page has been served, right? Because you know I have to I have to know that otherwise I can't serve you the page. So in a sense, tracking the kind of 
the, 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 the kind of basics, the counters, the, you know, the counting elements of it. How many times has this page been viewed? That is always possible with or without consent. It's just, can I tie that to a user? Can I tie that to a session? Can I tie that to some marketing campaign? These are the things that we start losing, including things like you said, IP address, when we don't have that explicit consent. Okay. So, so what this is all leading to really is, is, is how does this change the world? How does this change the game when you are building, um, say, for example, us, we're building a, an attribution model for a customer or when we're building a, a conversion optimization model. So, so what fundamentally has changed about how, how you have to do things now? Now we are introducing model data in and we don't necessarily know what each individual person is doing. Maybe start with the simplest thing of just tracking conversions and the conver- and the kind of conversion optimization. Yeah, of course. Um, so the, the first thing is, is that we might not even know the conversion occurred, it, it, quite simply. Um, it, if there's no consent, we, we, we can't track anything, or at least we can't tie it to that user. And every, anything to do with attribution modeling or, or understanding the customer journey, that the one commonality we have to have with that is understanding the customer or that it's by the same person or the same device. And that, unfortunately, is the is the is the bit that we can't track anymore. So um, the, 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 way I, the way I kind of think about this is that attribution modeling is still completely possible, but the data set that you have to do your attribution modeling on is shrinking. So we're not going to have access to every single person, every single conversion, and the history for that user leading up to that point of conversion. So it's just about, again, the approach and the models and everything else stays exactly the same, but the data you actually have available to you, uh, the volume of that data, the touch points that you can attribute across is going to kind of shrink and I can imagine continue to shrink over time. Right. Okay. And I mean, just, just, are we talking about largely anonymous access here where it's like a B2C site or something where people don't log in? I mean, what, what is this different when you're talking about uh, business to business sites where people do log in and you do, and people do give you, they do identify themselves, for example, is, is that a different kind of conversation really? I, I think it is. And it has to be. Um, I mean, I think that's actually how Google actually manages to continue serving ads and operating themselves. You know, everyone signed into something within Google, right? So whether it's Gmail or Chrome or, or YouTube or something like that. And that is their logged in process that they can kind of identify you across lots of different uh, uh, websites. So, so yeah, I think if you, if you're a, you're a, uh, a SaaS company, or if you've got a login portal, if you're Amazon, for example, even a, you know, a retailer, but you know, you have a login portal. Um, as soon as you log in, you can put whatever you need behind your T's and C's. You can say, okay, if you log in, you, you give us consent to store cookies, et cetera, et cetera, because in a sense you need, you, you've already got that opt-in consent, right? Um, so I think once you're logged in, yeah, you can you can do everything because it's the same difference as clicking accept all on the cookie banner uh, as soon as you log in because it's all tied it's all tied into the same kind of like contract in a way when you sign up for an account. So um, that's why a lot of a lot of I've, I've, at least I've noticed a lot of websites over the last couple of years have moved very much on to kind of pushing you to log in or create an account. You know, people people don't necessarily want you to check out as a guest on an e-commerce website because they want to identify you and tie this data all together. Um, so yeah, that's that's very much um, you're quite right to to kind of call that out. If you, if you're logged in, um, this isn't a, an issue. However, before you create an account or before you log in, is still invisible. So um, if I if I log in, you know, halfway through a visit onto your website. Um, all of those previous page views, all of that, you know, whatever ad I click to get to your website, all of that is still invisible. It's only going to start sort of stitching things together from midway through when I kind of log in or click sign up. Okay. So I'm curious to understand 
what your clients at Measure Lab are doing with this kind of situation that's happened. I mean, think about in, in some respects, this is these changes, although it's although they're being although they're being kind of sold or, or communicated as being like sticking it to the man in some respects. You know, this is this is stopping big businesses tracking us and and so on. You can imagine, you know, your your average you know UK retailer or your small business that is using um, that is maybe sort of relying on getting um, audiences from Facebook and so on. You know, I can imagine they would be quite hit by this, really. Um, so I suppose what are, what are businesses that previously have done this kind of work with you? What are they doing now to try and sort of stay competitive and have a view on their own customers' behavior? That's it's a really good question. And, and you're quite right. It, it all comes from a good place. You know, introducing things like the GDPR and other legislation all comes from a really good place of, you know, making sure it's more private and more control is given to the consumer, uh, you know, browsing the internet however what it's actually done is it's pushed um it's pushed people it's pushed advertisers specifically into the pockets of these you know big monopolies so these the, the, i like to think of them as walled gardens right so you've got the google ecosystem the amazon ecosystem and the, the facebook ecosystem um because these smaller advertisers can't compete anymore because they have no data to be able to kind of you know help you <laughs> get the, the sales that you need to do so what I found with my clients at Measure Lab is they've probably gone one of two ways. Uh, one way is to lean into the product. So if you don't have the the data engineering or the data science resource or the availability in terms of that skill set in-house or through an agency, quite often you just have to, in a sense, just be aware what what Google Analytics are doing, but just use it anyway. Maybe not um, make rash decisions off the back of the numbers you think are telling you one thing, but are telling you something else. Um, but leaning into the product. So Google Analytics are quote unquote solving this. They're modeling out the differences. They're doing data-driven attribution. They're doing, in a sense, there's a black box giving you an answer. Um, the, the, other, the other way around is with people that have access or organizations that have access to that um, resource, you know, the data science, the data engineering resource or, or, or ability, um, is actually kind of pull out the data and do their own modeling. So you still have access to all of that first party data. You still have access to all the consented users that are kind of, you know, opted in, happy for you to track. In a sense, it's become like a kind of like a CRM on steroids. It's it's a, a subset of your data, but these are your high value customers. These are the people that are allowing you to do that because they like you or trust you or, or, or a combination of the both. So you can still do your attribution modeling on there, um, but then also use the you know other methodologies or techniques like um, uh, media mix modeling, so MMM for short, using different sort of analysis and uh, different measurement techniques on the aggregate data. So you can kind of take some learnings on a subset. So do your attribution modeling, do your own kind of uh, models on top of the data that you are able to collect, and then take that learnings and apply that to the to the whole, um, as well as using different sort of analysis techniques on the on the other uh, invisible data sets. Okay, and I suppose how is how is I mean I don't know if this is in your your wheelhouse, but how is advertising changing now? You think about you know it, it was the case that you could you could be a you could be a small business, I suppose, working with say Facebook or Google or whatever, and you could you could directly market and advertise to to people based on your knowledge of exactly what they do and their exact interests and so on, and that means you would get you know you would get marketing materials or, or messages that were very relevant to you. Whereas now you look at, is it Flock, which I think the thing from Google about, about cohorting users based on, what, what, how, I suppose, how is advertising changing in this respect and how are these changes impacting on that and, and what experience have you had of this really? That's a really good question uh, and it's changed a, a huge amount. Uh, and actually it kind of goes back to what you said um, there about the retargeting. So retargeting is something where you have, um, you've tracked a single user 
and you retarget them and you send an advert directly to that user on another website. So that is the thing that's 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 gone, or at least going. And to be frank, uh, we should think of it as gone already. What hasn't gone is contextual targeting. So this is where that, that kind of flock thing you mentioned from Google, that was their federated learning of cohorts. They've kind of deprecated or parked that idea and they've introduced a new idea, which is called Topics. So then they've got a Topics API. Um, I'll dig out a link, Mark, so you can stick in the show notes. But um, what, what that's basically doing is clustering different people into different um, interests and demographics for, the, for you to then as an advertiser target. So rather than targeting individuals, you target similar people with similar interests. And that's how you how you run your target your campaigns so in a sense if, if anyone was aware of the, i suppose you know even sort of five ten fifteen years ago we'd call that prospecting you do your prospecting campaigns and retargeting prospecting is trying to find new users to your website based on you know various different traits like location or gender or other conditions that the advertising platform would have available to you and retargeting is here's a person i want to send an advert to please go do that so that like i say the, the retargeting is is gone but in a sense what's happened is that there's been a lot of investment in the prospecting and being able to target groups of users down to um you know all sorts of different combinations of of of, of data points so things like facebook and google obviously the big two players here the more data you have the more profiling you can do which means the more measurement that you can do which means you can measure a better roi i suppose ultimately on on their adverts again everything comes back to platforms like google and facebook being able to measure an roi on their ads because they need advertisers to keep spending money with them i mean that's ultimately their their end goal right is to, to make money with all this stuff Okay, uh, but so maybe to kind of round off this 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 conversation, really. I mean, it, it, do you feel that? So, in your opinion, is this a good thing or a bad thing, or a or, or you know, it, I, I, obviously there's a privacy angle to it, which I think people people at the trend in trend in society is moving towards that and so on. But do you think if you're an advertiser, if you're a uh, an e-commerce business, do you think the changes that are happening and the the new features in GA four are a good thing or a bad thing? If I if I had to come down one side of the fence, um, then uh, I, I I would say I would say a good thing. What ultimately enables them to continue to measure their advertising, right? Um, and again, coming back to Google Analytics being an advertising product, and that's what uh, you know the primary focus is for it to do. So without this, if if this wasn't introduced, if it was just a kind of the less data, the less visibility you had, and you kind of have a big blank there. Basically, we kind of we, we go back into a world where we kind of just run on assumptions and there's nothing to be able to measure and, and prove anything against. And I think whether or not we trust Google, whether we implicitly trust Google to do the modeling for us, I think the reason I think I say I come down the side of the fence that this is ultimately a good thing is because, the, let's be fair, the majority of people, you know, 99 out of 100 organizations don't have access to data engineers and scientists. So having having a platform that can now, in a sense, quote unquote, do this for free, I think that is ultimately a good thing because you're giving access to, you know, good data or good data techniques, even if you can't afford the the headcount or the agencies or the support to, to be able to do that. And what it enables you to do is to continue to invest, improve, measure, you know, improve your, your business, improve your website, improve your apps in, in lots of different ways. The, the, the thing that's kind of holding me back from being, you know, 100% it's a good thing. And, you know, because I'm not, I'm not employed by Google, right? I'm not, I'm not even, I'm not even a reseller. I don't get a cut of anything that I try and sell you. And the, the drawback for me is that 
it is black box and it is an advertiser that's doing this this is this is a this is an advertising walled garden that has a very you know it's got a vested interest in one thing and that's you spending money through google well they're marking their own homework aren't they yeah, one yeah exactly i couldn't have said it better myself yeah they're marking their own homework um but they kind of roll this up under this kind of like oh it's for your benefit you know this is all free stuff for you and then you think well how can google create a bunch of machine learning models and give you know there's no data limits in ga4 anymore like we talked about in, you know, in the previous version so now you've got an unlimited data collection tool that does loads of machine learning models and they're giving it to you for free okay what's the catch of course there's always a catch right and i think that's what's holding me back from being you know 100 enthusiastic about it and i think for me um it's not about there's always there's always an angle there's always a catch every platform you use there's always going to be a limitation or a catch or an angle however for me it's not about you know, trying to find the perfect vision of a platform that can give you the perfectly unbiased truth. For me, it's about just being, you know, it's an education thing. It's just being very aware of what's going on so that you're not blinded by it. So that when you get the the kind of the data out the other end, you can be, you know, maybe healthily cynical about the output or the answer. And so you can decide to do what you, it's ultimately down to you what you do with the data, right? Google aren't doing anything for you. It, you get to decide what you do with the data and just having a, even a, very top level view of or an awareness of what each platform again google analytics specifically for this conversation but any platform you use just having a top level view of what they're doing to it can really help you you know not make bad decisions okay and and i suppose one reason once round things off one way one reason this is no longer maybe just a theoretical conversation is an announcement happened a couple of weeks ago that, that you you mentioned briefly at the start of the uh, the conversation about the deprecation of, of universal analytics. So but again, just to finish off on that, what does that mean? And what, why is that now? Why do people now have to start thinking about this really? Yeah, so a couple of weeks ago, Google announced that they are deprecating, or as they said, sunsetting universal analytics as of the 1st of July, 2023. Um, what that means is that everyone is being forced, if you want to keep Google Analytics, that is to move over to the new version, Google Analytics 4, um, by that time. Um, the reason why there's been a bit of a panic right now is because um, everyone's trying to get Google Analytics 4 set up before the 1st of July 2022, so that come this sort of D-Day next year, the 1st of July 2023, you have year-on-year -year data in the same platform. Because um, as I said at the top, actually, um, there's no historical data. You can't transfer one set of data from you, you know Universal Analytics to GA4 because it's such a different schema. It's such a different data set that you have to just start again. And so people are trying to start before the, the deadline next year so that they have that year on year data and what what they've said is as of the 1st of july 2023 you'll um they'll stop processing the data as it comes in so in a sense you'll still have access to the ui and uh, they said for at least six months so throughout 2023 you'll still have access to that data via the interface and the api um, but what you won't be able to do is send any more new data into that platform so in a sense that the 1st of july 2023 is the kind of final day to have everything done and dusted in terms of a you know a, like a cultural change an educational change making sure everyone's trained up your advertisers your marketers your agencies you know all third-party products i'm sure you're working with a bunch of people pulling that data out into data warehouses and playing with the data on, on a larger scale so there's a, an awful lot of um of, of affected systems from this one announcement, not just Google Analytics, but you know, even taking the data warehouse side, you know, Google Analytics being one data source in you know in many, um, but actually all of the kind of the the, the the pipelines, all of the systems, all of the kind of um, the the, you know, the transformations will have to have to be adapted um, and changed over, ready for you know this time next year, really. 
Okay, so so I mean, I suppose you you know you said there about lifted over and so on. Are you finding that that your clients are, are largely just lifting and shifting what they've got, or is this an opportunity to kind of think about what they're doing a bit differently and 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 kind of I suppose rework and rethink how they're tracking tracking activity? Yeah, no, for sure, one hundred percent. Even if they are thinking of doing a lift and shift, I tell them not to. <laughs> so. Um... <clears throat> So yeah, with, with with this, it's a it's a great opportunity for a fresh start. Um, as we said before, it's like a completely new data schema. It, it's a different way of thinking about data collection, uh, very similar to the, the the segments and other tools you mentioned, Mark. Um, and uh, and actually, what I've always found is that the better you've known or you get or you've got to have known Universal Analytics, the harder the transition is because Universal Analytics is a very complicated, very nuanced product. Um, it's very it's very unique. And um, coming into a world like Google Analytics Four, that's pretty similar to some other products it's very the scheme is flat uh, event structured um it's actually it's actually having to unlearn all of the the the, the workarounds and nuances you learn in universal analytics so in a sense you've got a um a better tracking solution objectively better way of tracking things that happen on your website and app but because we've had the last you know 15 years tracking it in a certain other way it's a it's a transition and i would always say <clears throat> not just because of the data schema but also legacy um you know anything people are always quick to add tracking in uh, but they're very very slow to remove it so i would always suggest start with a blank sheet of paper and you know use the the data you already had what's a kpi what's important what does what does the kind of uh, bare bones look like let's move that over uh, not lift and shift and almost give ourselves an opportunity to to start again, again not taking anything away that you need. It's like decluttering. It's like decluttering, right? Uh, decluttering your house. It's like don't get rid of the stuff you actually need and use, but get rid of the stuff you don't use because it's just in the way and and uh, a distraction. Okay, so just to round things off, then Dan, it's always been great having you on the show. But just t- tell us a bit about how people might find out more about about you, about Measure Lab, and also the the uh, the podcast that you uh, you host help host as well. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, so I mean, cl- you know, classic website. You know, MeasureLab.co.uk is uh, the MeasureLab website. Um, I, I do a lot of stuff on there, including the podcast. So the podcast is the MeasurePod. So it's a, an analytics-focused podcast, but quite specifically around Google Analytics and the Google Stack. And as you can imagine, a lot of conversations like this around GA4 um, at the moment. Um, but also my own website. So I have a blog called Danalytics.co.uk, and I do the occasional post on there uh, with the kind of tips and tricks and helpful guides on some of the uh, concepts around GA4 specifically great great fantastic well look it's been really good speaking to you i've learned a lot myself on this so that's a really good uh, conversation thank you very much for for coming on and, and explaining this kind of world of ga4 and how the industry's changed and uh, it's been lovely speaking to you my pleasure thanks for having me mark <laughs>